Well, we are glad to be here. This is actually episode number one, and we've got a guest with us this morning, um, and uh, Confessions of a Pastor. So we just want to let you know right off the bat, um, I'll speak for myself on this. I am very imperfect. I have made a lot of mistakes, um, not just as a son. Um, I've made mistakes as a husband. I've made mistakes as a parent. I've made mistakes as a youth minister and as a pastor. And if I have any other roles in my life, I'm going to tell you, <laughs> I'm going to make mistakes there too. And so we just simply have this desire to say, to be honest, Cole and I, you know what? We're going to give you some confessions of a pastor, in this case, pastors. Um, I, uh, because I've lived longer than Cole, I've made a lot more mistakes than him. And so, it's a little, uh, little presumptuous. Of you. <laughs> okay. So we're hoping that um, we can just honestly share from our own perspective. And um, occasionally, we're going to have a guest with us, as we do this morning. We have invited Miss Sharon, um, who has uh, a great background that we want to draw from today. Um, and it's a background of growing up in the home of a coach, and um, then she. We'll, we'll just follow through that. Let's okay. let's just begin because we're talking right now. Uh, we're teaching through a series about responsibility. And so this first episode, we just thought it would be a natural tie-in for us to talk about responsibility and what that means uh, from a perspective of a child and also as a parent or a grandparent or a guardian. Um, and so, Miss Sharon, just give us a little of your background, um, you having grown up in Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, tell us about your mom and your dad. Okay. I was born and raised in Jonesboro, Arkansas, uh, born in the 50s, 56. <laughs> I'll go way on back there. So I've made more mistakes than both of you. Uh, <laughs> my uh, mother and daddy were both college educated. Uh, they were both school teachers and both coaches. Uh, I had one brother, and we were uh, blessed to have the same two parents in our home throughout our growing up. I forgot your mom was a coach. My mom I was remember a coach that now that uh -huh. said it. What did your mom coach? My mother was the uh, girls' PE teacher at Jonesboro High School, okay. and she was uh, instrumental in starting all the girls' athletic programs. Matter of fact, they have um, an award given every year, the Jean Davidson Ath Girls Athletic Corps. I knew that. And so... Um, she taught cheerleading and volleyball and basketball, and she could all the girls all the girls sports at that time. That's yeah. right. She was instrumental in Title Nine and and bringing all that awesome. equity to the uh, girls uh, athletic departments. And what did your father coach? My dad coached uh, everything in high school, but uh, most importantly, he was a football coach. Um, he played football uh, in college and then went on to accept that responsibility at Arkansas State. Arkansas State. That's mm -hmm. where I went to school. I did, too. <laughs> uh, I was uh, an ASU Indian. and um, That's right. Yes, it was. <laughs> and uh, it was a good experience. There are no more ASU Indians being produced. It is now ASU Red Wolves. Red Wolves. It is. I had to learn a new fight song. Right, yeah. <laughs> it's like, let me see if I can spell that and get that in there. So your... Um, I can only imagine I grew up, my dad was in a ministry, so mm -hmm. which I could see there might be some similarities for a coach. Um, but tell us what it was like. How did your parents 
model responsibility in your home? How did they, mm -hmm. I can, I, I, I almost could maybe even guess the answer being coaches, but tell us. Well, there were expectations, age appropriate expectations. We were given uh, like chores responsibilities and, and those were modeled, they were taught to us. Um, you know, I had responsibility of putting the dishes in the sink and washing the dishes, and my brother did yard work, and we'd help fold the clothes and match the socks. And as we grew up, uh, I hated the chore of cleaning the bathrooms once a week, but that was mine. And so <laughs> now as an adult, I hate to clean the bathrooms because I had to do it as a child. You never grew out of that. Never grew out of it. But um, Dad was gone more than I thought normal because once you got into the college coaching, it was long hours to be successful or you would be fired. And so um, mom was a great mom and uh, she led by example. Mm -hmm. So, um, but the expectation was to get it done, whether it was to get your clothes ready to go to school, get in the car to go to school, get your homework done. And, you know, back there, there wasn't, there was not cell phones or, uh, laptops everything was pencil and paper but um she sat down at the table with us and helped us and if we made a mistake um sometimes <laughs> she helped us with yeah. our responsibilities you know right. and i will say after listening to the first two uh, messages in church uh, i think a big thing that stuck out with me was that we are a creature of our experiences and uh, my mother did not grow up in the best situation. Her dad died young. Uh, they were raised by a grandmother. She had six brothers. Wow. So now you know why she's competitive and, and <laughs> you know, and me too. And um, so her life experiences was quite different than my dad's. Yeah. So um, she did for us and provided for us out of love and everything that she didn't have growing up. Yes. And sometimes that may lead to a little enabling it and could, coddling yeah. and um, letting us slide on a responsibility every now and then. Mm -hmm. Was she, um, as a coach, was and were your parents kind of, I don't know how to phrase it, coachy at home too? Or, or were they, did they really just put on that parent hat? No, they were coachy at home. <laughs> it was natural. They wanted us to be the best that we could be yes, and about yes, everything. Yes. Uh, my brother was way more athletic than I was. Um, I cheered and played volleyball, and that was the extent. I don't even know if I'm left-handed or right-handed. So obviously, <laughs> I like to say I um, I was the black sheep of that family yes. when it came to sports. When gotcha. it came to sports, uh, gotcha. my brother ruled the roost in that area. Gotcha. Now, now Miss Sharon, I, I want to back up just a tick because we're talking about your dad. Your dad just wasn't a coach at Arkansas State. He was... He was a great he coach. He was a great coach at Arkansas I'm going to toot his horn. Please do. I, well, you know, he was inducted into the Arkansas Sports Hall of right. Fame as a, a player at Arkansas State. He was a center and uh, and then was put in a position where he was an assistant coach under Benny Ellender mm -hmm. and then went on to be hired as the head football coach. And so I think, and it, Lord, it's been a long time cold since 1975. <laughs> However, in 1975, that was, that was the best year yeah. they've had, I believe. I'll still hang my hat on that one. One. But uh, he took he and his coaching staff took the ASU Indians to eleven and zero. They had about eight people go to the pros, and um, it was an outstanding year. Were you born in seventy five? Yes, I was. <laughs> I, I, I don't was. think Harley knew all of that. You no, didn't I, know you're, that. You're known, won a national championship, uh -huh. and I just yeah, he was he won a national championship. I there yeah the that, classification. I um well I just 
I knew I just we from were, Facebook posts. Yeah, I yes. knew it was significant. Mm-hmm. I didn't know it was that significant. In 75, I was a child uh, in Fayetteville okay. um, sitting beside Lou Holt's daughter yeah. in the uh, first, second, third, somewhere in their grade. Uh-huh, um, yeah. Had a crush on her. Oh wow! <laughs> no, sure. They did win the it was yes, it was at their level. And then uh-huh. later on, when they entered Division One, the saying for that year was eleven and zero and no place to go uh-huh. because they weren't quite recognized to the caliber right. of the Arkansas. But the on Alabama's. the level that they were That's on, correct. they were they, the best they, team in the country. That is that. correct. So yeah. well, that is awesome. They yeah. got national recognition yeah. because at that time there were only two undefeated teams in the whole United States, and one of them was. Arizona State, ASU, and Arkansas State. So, <laughs> wow. So you cool. came home. When you came home, you were coming home to two coaches, mm-hmm. two teachers. Yes, yes. And, <laughs> and a lot of high expectations. Oh, my so, goodness. So, okay. So, I, I come from an athletic family. Yeah. My, my family, you know, big into sports. Um, Wait a minute. Your dad yeah. was... What year was he? Dad went to Arkansas State to play baseball in 19, would have been the fall of 1971. Awesome. Uh, he didn't hang around for the entirety of that, of the, his I four years. I love that story. Uh, that's I love a story this, for that's another, time. another time. <laughs> but uh, yeah, he, he, so yeah, a little bit of, I, I actually went to UALR, Little Rock now. Yes. Uh, so Arkansas State, UALR, there's a little, there's you know, some there's competition some there. There, there sure is, there is. So, yeah. Uh, so anyway, what I was saying, I come from a you know sports background and coaches and and being around it as well. So when irresponsibility did take place in your household, mm-hmm. when, when mistakes were made, mm-hmm. when when decisions were not, you know, when the decision wasn't the decision that mom or dad wanted, when it wasn't going to take you to that best, right. as you <laughs> described, what what was what would happen? What was the uh, typical outcome of that? Oh Lord. <laughs> conversations uh, getting the full side of the story about what happened mm-hmm. whether it be grades when we were in elementary school or junior high whether it be um, I hate to say missing a curfew as teenage years you know now I did not do that yeah, for real. I can tell you I drove fast down a many of a gravel road to pull into Marta's edition to make that 11 o'clock curfew. I can relate Unfortunately, to that. my brother didn't drive quite as fast and took a couple of detours. He didn't make the curfew uh, 100% accuracy. So what would happen? Met, at the, met at the door, met at the door, lots of um, conversations about this isn't acceptable. Uh-huh. You are allowed freedoms. You have a vehicle, others don't. What comes with the freedom? Exactly. Well, some responsibility. Yeah, yeah. Lots of responsibility. Did, did either of you ever have to hand over the keys? My brother remember? did he on did, occasion. He did occasionally. Yeah. Uh-huh. Um, yeah, I can't tell the story because I don't have permission, but I have a really good one that just came through my mind. I'm my so brother sorry. Always, Wait, my, my brother always felt like that... Um, Going down campus at ASU, speed limit 30. He does 32, and he gets pulled over. My dad said, just be honest with the police officers, you know, give them your driver's license, whatever. So uh, he, that's what he had told him before. I don't even know if he'd had another ticket, but when he did do that, that didn't always work for my brother because the police officers would think he was being a smart aleck. And so I was like, dang, Billy Jean, you can't win for losing sometimes, you know. But responsibility. We were we had opportunities 
and with those opportunities were some expectations and some right. responsibilities. And I, you said something a few moments ago that I think was is important because we've been talking in this series about responsibility, yes. but at the same time, you made the comment, you said there were times where maybe we didn't follow through on responsibility, but mom or dad, they offered, instead of punishment or consequences every once in a while they would offer grace as well and i think the you know grace is also important to talk about because it's not it, god offers us grace too and so just that uh it's it's possible for parents and for for people in responsibility to offer that that grace as well and i think that's important oh it's very important and it's a learning tool and i'll tell you another story uh being a coach's daughter there was, uh, well, you know, preachers and teachers and coaches, you know, sometimes uh, what they say about their children. But I very vividly remember being upstairs in the bedroom and there was a big party after a football game. And my dad was flying off to go coach. We were They were out of state for a football game, so he wasn't going to be there. And he just came in there and he said, hey, Sharon, I know you're going to a party tonight. And I said, yes, sir. And he goes, um, I don't have to worry about you. He said, but just remember, there will be people that will try to bring you down the wrong path. He said, but they'll put you up against the wall, the back up against the wall, and you'll be forced to make a decision. But I don't have to worry about you because I know you'll make the right one. Now, do you know what kind of uh, loving pressure that put on Sharon? Because if I would have even thought about partaking in anything that other teenagers were doing at that point, it was off the table. There was no way I would have... Dad, let my dad, dad down. Dad knew how to put the screws. Yes, the right way. <laughs> because there was just absolutely no way that I would have let him down or, um, you know, there's that word of responsibility again. So let's shift into the Miss Sharon that I know, which okay. is not um, a daughter. It is not a, uh, a football coach's daughter or a, or, or a volleyball coach's daughter. The Miss Sharon I know is not even a teacher. No. The Miss Sharon I know is an administrator right. because you were actually my principal at Clary Elementary. That's right. Uh, so, uh, Kind of talk about from your time as an administrator, as a teacher, you've seen good, you've seen bad, you've seen responsibility, mm -hmm. you've seen lack of responsibility, both with kids and with parents. Sure. So kind of just talk about that a little bit. Well, um, parents are fundamentally good and they want the best for their children. And I believe, I truly believe that each and every day uh, parents get up and do the very best that they can. Mm -hmm. I just know uh, sometimes it's harder for others. But as far as good parenting, it, and it shows both ways. You said earlier, um, Harley, that it was kind of like modeling. So if it's modeled at home, the expectations and responsibilities, then um, kids seem to follow in that direction. So for us as uh, teachers, principals, educators, um, you know, we value parent input. We want them to be active in their children's life, whether it be the homework or coming to school. And we know work schedules don't always allow that. But you mostly can tell uh, active parents and their children because they come most of the time to school and on time, ready to learn, do their homework. Um, you can tell they've been taught some social skills and, and how to act at school because, you know, most kids are kind to others, uh, want to be accepted, want to be helpful. Um, and the same thing with those parents. I think they set those examples, you know, at the home. So most people come to school to learn and to have fun mm -hmm. and to participate in things. So yeah. I remember sitting in a class at ULR. That's where I did my freshman year. And uh, it was still my senior year of high school. So I was very immature. And what's changed? Uh, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I, I remember though thinking, okay, I'm 
I'm the youngest person in this class because at that time the average age at UALR was about maybe 27. Right, commuter college. It was commuter college. And so I had this kind of this pride well up within me. Hey, here I am. I'm just not far from being 16 years old and I'm a freshman in college. And I learned a term sitting in that anthropology class. I didn't even know what anthropology was until I took the class. And this term just slapped me in the face and it was um, something like egocentrism, which says, and she, the professor defined it for us and it's basically says all the world is about me. Um, I am more important than you. I'm more important than you. My perspective is more important than everything around me. And I began to think uh, at that moment, the first time I ever realized was, I think, was this is not all about me. Mm -hmm. But yet I've lived my life up to Mm -hmm. this point Mm -hmm. all about me. Yeah. And I'm wondering, I'm wondering how quickly, what, what have you seen in the life of children when did you begin teaching? Oh, 1979. Okay, in 79, from 79 to, uh, you just retired about a year ago. Mm, two. Two years ago. Two, almost. Okay, so 79 to 2020. The difference in children coming into your classroom in that span of years, what difference in in just the lives of children, I'm wondering if kids are coming to the place where they are realizing it took me till I was 17 to ever think about it really for the first time that that life is not all about me. Do you you see any difference in children from then to 2020 in what they're bringing into the classroom? It's it's more than a worldview. just there there's some differences and i think that um technology plays a part in that Mm -hmm. cell phones entitlements like we talked about Mm -hmm. yesterday Uh, i think life is busier i see children more you know when i was growing up and even when i was first teaching let me back up and say that when i was first teaching in principal children may have had one maybe two activities they uh, may have taken piano lessons, they may have had a dance class, they may have had one sporting activity, mm-hmm. and, and and then the youth activities are church on Sundays. And now I see mm-hmm. the uh, stress that children over the last, I'll just say 15 to 20 years, maybe even currently, that every day is filled with one mm-hmm. or two or three activities, even with five-year-olds, and they are just exhausted and that's not even taking into account can we have some family time can we sit down the table and eat as a family can we just visit about Hmm. today's activities and i see the stress on children that's interesting that you said that because when i was i was at the parks program for pretty much right at 10 years and that's one of the things we of course we were one of those activities we were one of those activities that that parents would would you know whether it be Baseball, softball, t-ball, basketball, cheerleading, football, peewee flag, all of those different mm-hmm. opportunities, which 
nothing wrong with any of those things in and of themselves. Not They're at all. all great opportunities, and you want kids to be active and involved. But I know that for us, it was always a challenge to schedule games yes. and tournaments yes. and anything because so many different activities were going on that you would say, okay, we're going to, hey, this is picture day. Mm -hmm. And there would almost always be at least, you know, two or three teams that would come back and say, can't do it because right. half of my team's going to be at an archery, half of my kid, to, mm -hmm. which again, nothing wrong mm -hmm. with any of those things. Easy. But mm -hmm. man, when you're just filling that calendar up, you know, where is the time to, like you said, mm -hmm. be able to see some of those family interactions and some of that modeling that you were talking about earlier? Right. I think and I, I think it just it does. I know it comes from love mm -hmm. and sure. I know it comes from wanting the best for their mm -hmm. children. I mm -hmm. think at that time they know it's they think it's the best. Mm -hmm. And then reflecting back, it's like, wow, maybe we were a little busy. maybe we were a yeah. little too busy mm -hmm. yeah, for I, life. As that's, I think about that, I, because my first reaction would be. All those activities, in my thinking, would necessitate increased responsibility for children. But I think the studies are showing that that increase in activity is not increasing responsibility. It, in fact, it, as you already said, it may be stressing those kids out. So they're, they may be arriving to school as just another one of these activities on this thing, not as a primary, I need to get this done, primary focus, I've got to get this done and so that I can move forward in life. Mm -hmm. They may be coming to school stressed out, not more responsible. I said this to my daughter, and this is the other daughter, Devin, that lives in Bentonville. She has two precious daughters and they're very active in everything. And one day she sent me a picture of my youngest granddaughter and she literally was laid out in the floor of her dance class, just laid out, just spread eagle, laid out. And I said, goodness, she wasn't feeling dance today, was she? And she said, well, no, because we had after school this, and then uh, practice for soccer happened to fall on this day, and now we're ending it with dance. And it was like 7 o'clock at night. Yeah. Well, no wonder. Yeah. And, boy, and look here, Victoria's a hoot. So she said, mm, I ain't having this. And she just flat <laughs> laid right out on the floor. I think that was Devin's sign yeah. to say, we may have overscheduled on yeah. this day. We had something similar happen to us when Ella, my oldest, was about kindergarten, first grade, I forget. We were um, going to have her in a uh, dance tumble type class mm -hmm. in DeWitt mm -hmm. um, and because man that was the thing that's what it is that's exactly to so that's, right. that's what we were going to do and we did it for a couple of weeks and so on these certain days maybe it was a day I can't remember if it was one or two we would she would get picked up we would go to DeWitt we would do that we would finish that we'd come home it'd be six o'clock six thirty by the time we got home and after about three weeks she just burst into tears mm -hmm. and basically said daddy I don't want to do this. That's I'm right. tired. That's right. And that was a moment to go back to the conversation about responsibility. My responsibility as a parent was to say, I'm overwhelming this kid. Mm -hmm. I, we've got to pull back just a little bit because, you know, we, we think of responsibility always, to me, I do, in terms of, you know, well, I've got to get this done and I've got to get this accomplished. From a parental perspective, sometimes it's identifying those stressors, identifying those moments of being overwhelmed Absolutely. and saying, you can't or don't have the ability to pull back. I'm going to have to pull back for you. Mm -hmm. you know, I'm going to have to help you out there and, and kind of model Very that true. sometimes you don't have to do mm -hmm. everything, mm -hmm. you know, and so that, that, that happened mm -hmm. to us as well. Yeah. Yeah. Um, 
so you have seen a difference in children coming in, a difference maybe by 2020 when you retired. Some differences, though, are really good. There have been some good differences. They, uh, our children have more access to information they do. than we ever had. And know how to use and it. And know how to Not use it. Not just the access. It. They can take it and dominate it. Digest it. Yeah. Rachel, my six-year-old, almost seven, there's no way when I was seven that I was as, and maybe I'm selling myself short, but not just the access, but the ability to use it That's right. and to put it into real-life situations. That's amazing. great. That is amazing. great. That is great. And then the downside, not just one, but, and there are more upsides, mm -hmm. too. The downside, one of the downsides is uh, scientists are telling us that one reason, one of many reasons, children are entering adol uh, adolescence earlier and earlier and earlier, and part of that is that flow of information. Mm -hmm. So they're they're having this adult-sized load of information that they have access to, mm -hmm. that they carry in their pocket, but they don't yet have the ability. To process it mm -hmm. or do anything with it, they know how to use it, mm -hmm. and they and they know how to perhaps maximize mm -hmm. that information. So they're entering adolescence sooner, and then we're told that now they're leaving adolescence later, mm -hmm. and so we have this gap. And part of that gap is, I think, so here's on the downside: we have all this technology that does so many wonderful things for us it kind of gets us into the adult world before we're ready to mentally handle it and it leaves us there longer in that adolescent world longer than we should be because we never learned how to handle it and so we are spitting out uh, on this other end young adults sometimes who aren't ready and prepared to handle, they have all the information in the world, but they haven't had the experience to uh, to turn that into life skills, life productive skills. life skills, mm -hmm. and how to, but I can put myself in that same scenario because we were on the very cusp, Cole more than I. Um, I had a cell phone when I was a senior in high school. There you that go. was my first cell phone. Yeah. It was not smart. <laughs> <laughs> Nor was I. Uh -huh. um, but, you know, this is not a generational problem. Um, these are this. Which is, is different. It's just, just different. different. It's just different. There, cell phones are a problem at school, you guys. It's almost hard to have a policy that you can enforce mm. consistently. I know that's something that y'all are dealing with. I think we are. Yeah. But from a personal standpoint, yes, you know. Um, I would really just prefer that they either not come at all or stay in a vehicle mm -hmm. or at least stay in a backpack and have yeah. access to mm -hmm. them maybe at lunch. I mean, I think we all are addicted to phones and yes. technology. I, yes. I am. Yes. I am. First thing I yes. do in the morning. Yeah. Uh, you and, and I and because and we're adults. Mm -hmm. Exactly. And mm -hmm. I when I stop and think of and, you know, there have been studies about how many times that phones went off in teachers classes mm -hmm. and how many Snapchats or Instagrams or text messages. And I'll be honest, I've been guilty of texting my grandsons, mm -hmm. you know, 
in the middle of the day when I shouldn't have, and I know I shouldn't have, but maybe it was a pickup situation or whatever. But the bottom line is those kids hear it, feel it, respond to it about every time and it happens. Because I'm the same way. When I hear my phone go off, there's an anxiety that mm-hmm. is created mm-hmm. to, I need to see who that is. Even if I think to myself, no, 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 leave it alone. You don't have there's just something inside of me that says, check it out. But just let me tell you from an educator standpoint, how many seconds or how many minutes of every class period that child, that student is losing out on that good education, mm-hmm. that teachers, because you're going to miss a skill. You're mm-hmm. going to miss a good lesson. and Or even if you don't miss it, you weren't 100% attentive of what that teacher was trying to feeds you great information and all those seconds times all those minutes times all those class periods times 178 days a year is astounding the fact that that cell phone in so-and-so's pocket is distracting them from hearing great information that teacher's Uh trying to bestow upon you Sometimes that we, bothers me. Yes. That Sometimes bothers we, me. This is this is obviously something you're passionate about for a good reason. Yes, yes. You've seen it. Sometimes yes. we like to think we're good multitaskers, yes. but, we're and, but we're not. We're not. The reality, studies are showing that multitasking is a misnomer, mm-hmm. if that's even the right word. Mm-hmm. Um, it's uh, it yes, actually your brain when your brain leaves that activity and so it it moves from the classroom to the phone in your back pocket Mm -hmm. or under your desk Mm -hmm. or under a book whatever the case is um your brain is making a direct shift to that and something happens in your mind Mm -hmm. your brain cells are dying when you make that shift so really multitasking actually makes us dumber um because we're not good at it and we're going to miss what's going on and our children live in a multitasking world to to get it back to the converse not get it back to but continuing the conversation of responsibility because honestly we're 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 pushing up on a a two-parter on this podcast because because (laughs) this this is a really this is a really good conversation i'm really enjoying it um kids we're kind of focusing on kids right now which is awesome uh you made the comment we do the same thing and we're adults absolutely and yes, so on the on the responsibility scale we know that there's a point where everyone has to begin taking responsibility mm-hmm. for every decision that they make we mm-hmm. understand that and and i don't want to i don't where that is when that is how that works that that's not for me but when we're talking about young people mm-hmm. there's a point where an adult does have to step in and take responsibility yes, off yes, their shoulder and yes. say you are not 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 right now you know mm-hmm. i'm going to say no Yes. It's got to talk about that from a teacher, an administrator, where there are times where as an adult, as a parent, as a teacher, as a coach, you've got to step in and you've got to shoulder some of that responsibility that maybe they're not ready for just yet. Are you talking about cell phones? You're talking about life I think it could be anything. I think it could be anything. I think, well, I know that, uh, and I've always said, if, if parents are their children's first advocate, so we welcome, schools welcome yes. uh, input, questioning, um, asking questions, you know, being involved. And, and I don't mean stand up for your children, but just to be uh, actively involved to make sure everything's going okay. Clarify something. What becomes sometimes more uh, strategic is we want parents to 
believe what the teacher says. I always say there's three sides to a story, the way I perceived it, the way you perceived it, and somewhere in the middle. Mm-hmm. And and then come to who's responsible for that and then agree with that and, and move on. And I think that's in education, whether it be lessons or cheerleading tryouts. I'm just making stuff up. Sure, yeah. I don't even know. Yeah. Uh, you know, uh, grades in a grade book. I know one time as an administrator, I looked at one of my grandson's grades and I thought, ooh, now let's see, that's not good. You know, zero out of 10 or 10 out of 100. That's what it was, 10 out of 100. And so I very nicely and professionally said, could you tell me what so-and-so didn't get about this lesson because he's a math whiz and he normally aces everything. And she said, oh, thank you for the email. When I'm loading grades in, I, I guess my finger didn't hit that extra zero. And it was supposed to be 100 out of 100, not 10 out of. So it was a good conversation. Mm-hmm. I was the grandparent, not the principal. Teacher appreciated the input. And we're human. We make mistakes. Uh, she accepted responsibility for she that finger. It. She owned not, it. And, you know, and she, she could have said, well, you didn't study for the test last right. night or he didn't turn in his homework. She could have said it wasn't my fault. That's right. She could have. Right. But she looked and she said, oops, my bad. You know, my finger didn't hit that zero on the keypad we, an extra we, time. We could go so many different directions on a conversation about responsibility yeah. because right there, that was just an example of mm-hmm. two or three different mm-hmm. where the, mm-hmm. where we took responsibility, we owned it. and. I've I've never met me personally, and that doesn't mean that it, they don't they're not out there because I know they are. I've never met a, a person, an adult, that wanted something bad to happen to a kid. I've, I, I have me not personally, no, me I've either. never seen a parent that didn't want their kid to be successful in in whatever way they understood the that success. The best they could the do. Right, could do. Right. I've I've never met that. I've never right. met a coach that mm-hmm. didn't want a, a kid to do well. I've never met a teacher that didn't want a kid to do well. And and um, I think it starts with relationships, too. Mm -hmm. You know, uh, we all don't come from the same homes. We all don't come from the same backgrounds, but we all want the best for our children. Mm -hmm. And our children, for the most part, understand that. And Mm -hmm. they want to do that for themselves also. Takes one caring adult, in my opinion. And one of the questions later, I won't even go into that yet. But have we ever seen those that that were at risk that overcome that? Let's go into that. Yeah, Yeah, I think that's a great. Well, uh, yes, the answer to that is yes. I have seen more than one, many children that you may think they've got the card stacked against them or they don't have it as easy as some of their peers, but they are successful now. And and it's it takes a community, it takes a village, if that's what you want to say. Um, and so I'm not going to name any names, but um, it just gave me great pleasure. Because, see, I see them at elementary, and then I saw them at middle school. And we all know what people say about the middle years. Oh, my kid's you know? going into middle school next year. Uh, so, you know, yeah. there's just that uh, transformation. And then it was always so lovely for me then to see them in high school. And you're like, wow, are you the same person that, you know, ran the halls at middle school? And the answer to that is yes, they are. But they've matured. They've accepted some responsibility. They've res- uh, accepted responsibility for where they want to go in life and Mm -hmm. what they want to do but back to that i think it takes one special individual whether it be at school whether it be a youth minister i've seen friends uh support others by saying you want to play ball you want to go to college i got to help you get that act up Ooh, that just brings chills Mm -hmm. to me knowing that your friends will surround you Mm -hmm. and help do that Mm -hmm. kind of things with you so What I'm hearing you say is from your experience and what you and what you have seen, boots on the ground. Boots on the ground. For a child to 
make that transition when they are in less than ideal circumstances in life, which they have no control over. Absolutely. My favorite saying, children can't help who they're born with. That's you right. know, they, they don't get to choose their they family. Don't get to choose. They, they cannot help who they're born to. So the children you have seen make that transition. There has been, in most cases, at least one uh, caring adult mm -hmm. in their life somewhere who has said, Come here, let me show you. Yeah. Come here, let me help you. Let, let me show you said, how to get where you want to go. That's right. Mm -hmm. We care about you. I can help meet some needs. You know, do you have money in your pocket? Would you like to stay the night with us? I know your washing machine's broken. How about bringing me all your dirty ball uniforms and I'm going to wash them for you? Need a place to stay tonight because your mom's out of town? Sure, you're always welcome here. Uh, and then sometimes it's a parent, a teacher, your classmates, You've seen all of the above. I've seen all of it. Yeah. Parents it gives of me chills. Other children. Yes. You know, yes. They, you know, a, yes. Yeah, just so, it's awesome. Our yeah. community's awesome. Yeah. It just takes one for every child. Yeah. And somewhere in there, with that caring adult or those adults, that child is getting a model of responsibility that maybe they haven't had because parents struggle too. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. And we don't know the background of that parent that may be struggling. And as Cole said, and you also said, they're doing the best that they can mm -hmm. at that moment in that season of their life. But this, some, someone has stepped in and modeled something and allowed that child to make a transition to responsibility. I think it provides some hope. It provides, um, uh, someone cares about me and I can do this. Um, and then they take on more responsibility themselves because from what I've seen and what I'm referring to, then that particular child wants to make it. That particular child wants to assume their own responsibility and be able to come back and say thank you, you know, for helping me. And and that's that's transpired on more than one occasion. Yeah. And, and it's awesome. And that child potentially breaks a cycle. I think Yes, sir. Uh -huh, very possibly. Mm -hmm. So let's kind of wrap it up by moving to Miss Sharon, the mother, the grandmother. Mm -hmm. And tell us from your experience, if someone wants to, as a grandparent or a caring adult, anyone in that child's life, they see a child who is struggling, is there uh, some kind of direction you could give that person to say, um, here's, here's a way that if you see a child heading down a path that because we're adults, maybe we have a, a perspective where we can see where that path is headed and you want to help them move toward more responsibility or better decisions. Can you give some advice to parents or grandparents who have an ache to help a child redirect? I, I think um, some of it depends upon age, age appropriateness, but I know in our situation, um, honest communication, uh, allowing kids to ask questions about what's going on, 
How long is this going to last? You know, knowing that they're loved, knowing that they have a safe place while someone is uh, recovering. That stability. Stability. Yeah. Uh, always listen. Um, just a safe place to ask questions because they're afraid. They might not let you know they're afraid, but they're afraid. Mm -hmm. uh, and sometimes I'll say this. Children know more and have seen more than we ever give them credit for. You know, yeah, they're uh, taking it in. They need a safe way to mm -hmm. express that, whether it just be to a, a, a youth minister, a pastor, a third party friend or family member. But um, I would just say, hang in there, uh, direct people to God as much as possible. Um, give people a safe haven. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and that may frequently begin with just simply an invitation. Yes, sir. Um, keeping those. Uh, even if those invitations aren't accepted, just continuing to offer that. And um, I remember a student when I was a youth minister that uh, could not, couldn't, uh, more than one student um, could not look up from a book. He would look at a book so he didn't have to look at you. Mm. And um, there would be all kinds of activities going on and he would be against the wall just with the book. And that was his safe place, really. Mm -hmm. um, and just over the course of love and kindness and equity, treating them just like everyone else mm -hmm. with equal love and kindness and attention um, over the course of a year, um, that student blossomed mm -hmm. and... Uh, Man, I, I'm, my mind's being flooded with a lot of stories right now. Mm -hmm. Of, of, stu and I thought I was just doing my job. Yeah. But, um, but as I think about it, you know, of course it was motivated by love and care, but um, it just takes one. At it least. just takes they one. They need at least one. As I got older and more mature, even really close to retirement, when children came to my office, it rarely was. It was supposed to be a discipline thing, but I just found it be more successful. I turned it into a learning, a questioning, a teaching. What could you have done better? What were your responsibilities in that situation? If you had it all to do over again, what would you do? And a learning lesson. Because, oh, you know, discipline, whoopee. You know, a Saturday school and in school, you're not learning a lesson. I, I believe in more That's positive. A yeah, There's I a yeah, difference yes, between punishment and discipline. Yeah, yeah. And if I, I, I have one thing written down in my notes that I wanted to say, and it was go, goes back to earlier in teaching responsibility with children and even as parents. Um, we're busy. We're loving. We are diversified with jobs and, and family and trying to do extracurricular. And, but so I'm going to go back and say, uh, if I had it all to do over again, and I've tried to share this with my adult children, Say what you mean and mean what you say. And I just, so whatever the expectations are, whatever the rules are, whatever the learning responsibilities are, have a few and stick with them. Sometimes we get tired and busy and we're washing the dishes and we're cooking and somebody will say, can I do this? Can I do this? Can I spend the night? Can I spend the night? And then you're, you know, because it's a school night and then all of a sudden you go, what the heck? 
get the heck out of here. You know, that kind of thing. And the same thing I did it to my mother. My mother did not believe in ear piercings. She said, if the good Lord wanted you to have holes in your ears, he would have put them there. And I never got to get my ears pierced like my friends did. And I would ask, and I would ask, and no, honey, no, honey, no, honey, you know what I believe about ears. And then one day, and I was brave, I was 14, and I said, I've already made the appointment, I'm Mama. Cringy. I've already made the appointment, Mom. And at that weak moment, she said, They're ear your ears, I hope they don't get infected. Well, I told her a little white lie because I hadn't made the appointment. <laughs> but then she gave me the go-ahead. Did you hear it? She gave me the go-ahead. And so, boy, I ran and made that appointment, got my ears pierced. Now I have four. Did they get infected? No, they didn't get infected. I took care of them. And afterwards, she said, oh, you look really nice. Why don't you try some diamond studs? And she would take care of them because Miss Sharon is responsible. Yes, she is. I try to be the responsible one. I think we ended right there. That's a great story. And I'll say this, too. I think this is a two-parter. At some point, we're going to have Miss Sharon on pretty soon. I've kind of enjoyed that. But now go ahead and ask me my favorite color. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, okay, so rapid fire, real quick, quick. We're gonna, we want you to get to know Miss Sharon. If you're like me, you knew her as a principal, so maybe you didn't know her as well. So we're gonna try to let you know Miss Sharon. She has no idea what these questions are gonna be, right? No, I don't. So Miss Sharon, what's your favorite color? Purple. (laughs) Clary Tiger purple. Clary Tigers, baby. Uh, What is your favorite food? Oh my goodness, Um, Mexican. Mexican, okay, you gotta be more specific. What? What Ranchero. Game? Ranchero special. If <laughs> you're from, shrimp in the chicken. If you're from the Stuttgart Dewitt area, you know what she's uh, talking about. Right. Uh, your favorite sports team? Well, right now, the Stuttgart Rice Birds. There you go. Lady Rice Birds. Stuttgart <laughs> Rice Birds. Uh, so, Miss Sharon, and tell me again, when did, when did you graduate from high school and college? What's the... Oh, my goodness. Uh, I'm the greatest class alive. I'm the class of 75. <laughs> All right, last question. If that's high school now, seventy-eight in college. Ooh, my daddy pushed me. Three. My daddy yeah. pushed me. Thought, responsibility, go. responsibility. So Summers. it can be done. Absolutely, it can be and done. And I was active in my college and sorority life also. All right, Miss Sharon, if you could, and and this one's a little deeper. Okay. If there was one thing over the course of your forty years as an educator, forty years uh, in, in in education. If there's one thing that you could go to. A principal today, a teacher today, an assistant principal, anyone in Stuttgart School District or any other school district, and you could say, if you, one thing I could tell you, one piece of advice, what would it be? And, and you had no idea this question was coming. Oh, and so, what, what, just off the cuff, what would you say? What would that thing be? Listen to the children and, um, I don't know, make all decisions based on what's best for that child. Don't get tied up in politics. Don't get tied up in anything else. Just make decisions. What's the best interest of children? You will be successful. That was not a bad rapid fire (laughs) answer, Harley. That was great. Well, uh, teach them responsibility. That's what it is. There you go. There you go. And add responsibility. That's right. Well, we know this for for me personally. This is uh, a hot topic. um, Just responsibility, not because I'm so good at it. Because you have learned many lessons because you're not good at it. I have learned many lessons. And um, so I, you know, yeah, let's wrap it up. And uh, we will just simply say uh, that we hope somebody gets encouraged today. And we will invite Miss Sharon back. And for that, we will say adios. Adios.